I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com podcasts. Thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. It's the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. And if you've been listening to the show for the last several weeks under lockdown, I've been asking you who you think I should have sit down in the guest chair. And more than a few of you, both serious beer drinkers and professional brewers alike, suggested Chris Ennegrin of Ennegrin Brewing. Now, I had interviewed Chris in the past for some stories, but didn't know much about him or what his brewery was making out in Southern California. So after some digging around and discovering he had a passion for lagers, how could I not ring him up for a proper chat? We're a few days removed from Lager Appreciation Month, but I'm a firm believer that we should be celebrating well-made lagers no matter what the calendar says. Chris feels the same way. From their brewery he co-founded nine years ago in Moorpark, California, this Massachusetts native talks about his love of German-style lagers, how a laser-like focus on the category has helped build a loyal following and grow the business grow the business, I should say. And we talk about his American Rhein Heinzkeboat program. And for you fans, we even spend some time talking about Ralph Beer. Sometimes it's good to start at the beginning, and so I wanted to kick things off by asking him about the decision to put the family name on the brewery and what that means for the business. Here's our conversation. What drove the decision to put your family name on the brewery? Well, Back when we were home brewing, this is uh, right after college, I always kind of thought about um, what I'd name the brewery. And we we're the, the whole goal was to start a brewery someday. And, um, you know, I kind of had these ideas and a lot of them were cool. And then they ended up changing. And a week later, now that name is um, lame or, um, you know, you kind of get sick of things. Also, um, there's just so many breweries out there. So it was just do you pick a do you pick a a city that you're in and then end up having to relocate and move and that gets kind of strange. So the reason we picked the name was one um that was something that wasn't really going to change on me which is nice. But um probably the thing that really kind of drove that home was as we were kind of looking at names my dad ended up talking to me and saying, you know, we had a brewery in the family in the 1800s in Sweden and it was basically Anergren Brewing. And we tried to find some research on it. And it was really, it was a small brewery and, um, you know, we really couldn't get a lot of history on the thing, but knowing that that was out there kind of gave me a good idea. And I said, this is perfect. This is kind of like a recreation of that, even though it's not the same logo, isn't even the same country at all. But we picked that as our, as our, um, our name for it. And the logo, um, the lions actually in that logo came from um Loyola Marymount. This is this is a school we went to. On your current on your current logo. Current yeah. logo. Yeah. Actually the the mascot of of the school was is is a little bit different. But our lacrosse team had a had a uh, logo on our helmets and it was essentially a lion that looked kind of like that. He was holding a lacrosse stick. So I ended up taking that type of like theme and I turned 
I, I mirrored it over and had two lions kind of high-fiving and cheersing. I thought that was pretty sweet. So we kind of went with that. And then um, that was kind of um, our, our logo and name. That's how we kind of went from that. So it was a little bit, a little bit of a, a tribute um, paid to where we started. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see it. And I, and on some levels, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Lowenbrow, uh, like the old school, uh, you know, uh, drinking lion and, um, or even like Firestone Walker with the lion and the bear, you know, as well. Like, but it has this sort of like iconic, it immediately makes you think of drinking. I think. Exactly. Or and it, it also has that think like, of a brewery when you see it. Yeah, and it also has that um, historical kind of. I'm not trying to get you scared that like well. you're going to get C and Ds from from other breweries now. Yeah, I'm not trying. Oh to no, no, no. we've known from anything. the beginning, um, and you know, the, we, we we have animals <laughs> on our. I mean, literally, if you put two animals on on a beer bottle, someone would say, "Didn't you just copy someone, some other brewery?" And it's like, dude, these are totally different. But you know, people don't see that all the time. <laughs> in In your research, what were you able to find out about the? Uh, historical family brewery well um actually right when we started going with that name and we got going we opened the first brewery up my dad actually found something in this um um article it was about swedish brewing and it showed it was a picture of this like house if you read closely it says the old Enneagram brewing was in the open clearing next to this house so we really didn't have a picture of what that looked like but and it, it mentioned that you know they they did a a uh, a darker beer like a darker session kind of um um strength um lager uh, it was like almost like probably like a black lager something like that but that's really all we kind of saw on it and then really from there what happened was that brewery got sold to Prips and then Prips got sold to Carlsberg and then Carlsberg obviously is a giant brewery so it kind of bought up some of the local ones there and um that was really it so not a lot of great history i mean it would have been awesome to have all that you know shown and spelled out like for instance epic brewery down in um san diego they've got a lot of great history from that name and that um that family so um they're able to kind of show all that you know pictures of the the epic brewing you know facility and what the kegs looked like from back then so it would have been nice to have that but all i know is it existed and that's pretty much <laughs> pretty much it around that when you were home brewing because obviously now your brewery uh you're you're german focused you're lager focused is that something that developed as you were home brewing and thinking about going pro or was this part of a you know, a business plan of, Hey, let's find a way to be our own place when we open, uh, and not, you know, just another West coast brewery, um, Yeah, uh, doing something so for everything, everybody. We we're home brewing. So it was, it was myself, my brother, Matt, and, um, our other partner, Joe, and, uh, we're, we're still all in the same deal now too. But, um, when we started home brewing back then, we never really, got into the IPAs that much. We, we obviously drank IPAs, but we were really focused more on, you know, the maltier German style beers. So, um, alt was something that really came out to us. You know, when we're learning how to brew, um, trying to design our beers around what we had available for controls and temperatures and, and things like that. You know, it's, it's tough to try to go 
ferment a pilsner in your closet. It's just not going to work out at all. And um, when we're talking to some of the people from the, the home brew shop um, down by LMU, I forget what the name of it was. I don't think it's there anymore. Um, it was really like, well, you, know, you should look into alt. You know, it's a it's an ale, but if you like Dunkel a lot, which we did, then it's a it's a pretty good style. It's a you know kind of middle of the road there. It's malty. You could ferment it um, a little bit warmer, so you don't have to worry about you know cold fermentation um, with everything. Which is a lot of the German beers are most of the famous German beers are, are lagers, so they're kind of untouchable to basic home brewing in that sense. So alt was kind of the beer we went to. We started making that and we started making a lot of it, try to change it, try to get that beer perfect. And outside of that, we made some pale ales and a bunch of other, other weird things too, just, um, just trying to learn what we were doing. But that seemed to be the beer that kind of popped up all the time when we were brewing. And um, once we started getting to the point where we decided that our, our goal is to legitimately start a brewery, that's when we started to like hone in on some of those styles a little bit more. So we kind of figured we'll do a lot more alt. We'll, we'll perfect that one. We'll get into some Kolsch maybe um, made a few IPAs here and there, but what really defined our like focus was kind of that German style. Um, so that, that's really where it started. And when we got into our first brewery, it's a little three barrel system. This is after a couple years of literally like, super advanced home brewing in my parents' garage that I made this automated system. And it was, it, it got really weird. You built your own automated system? Yeah. So actually, it's a little, little, little um, detour here. So after college, I, I started working at Medtronic and I was doing factory automation and um, a little bit of R&D and stuff like that. And I was doing a lot of PLC controls, touch screens, um, automated valves, things like that for um, process equipment. And I was a mechanical engineer in college, but I wanted to learn how to do more of that um, automation work since I was working for an electrical engineer at the time. So I went out and I, I bought a bunch of just control systems, PLCs, I bought a nice big 15 inch touchscreen. And then at home, I would, you know, I'd just go back and I'd think, all right, let's, I'll, I'll make this thing do stuff. I'll, I'll turn on a burner with the touchscreen. That'll be really cool. And I'll learn something out of that that turned into this little like, you know, the homebrew style rig where you'd push outside and you'd fill it up with water and you'd have to fix something every single time you brewed that turned into this like thing where I'd go in the garage, flip a switch. I push a button. The thing's filling up with water. I'm heat burners are firing by themselves. I'm transferring everywhere. So for like homebrewing, since you don't have to go and like set up hoses for hours and clean stuff and get set up, it was just so easy. We'd, we'd wake up, we'd go downstairs, we'd just fire the brewery up and we'd hang out, we'd barbecue, go in the pool, the thing's brewing all day. So every week we're just brewing something. I mean, th- was- there's some home brewers who are going to listen to this and say, you know, that's, that, that's not the intent or, you know, like it's supposed to be hard work or it's supposed to be, you know, chaos. Like this is sort of <laughs> like the Ron Papil set it and forget it kind of model. It's uh well, it's still um, hard work, and it's it still chaos. We just made a lot, a lot more beer out of it. That's that was the goal. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> so that thing worked out really well, and that that was just um, that's kind of what got us like, okay, this is getting weird. We should probably make a real brewery. And actually, what happened was my dad, um, my mom and dad had moved out to Arizona to retire, and my brother and I were just living in the house and um, brewing all the time. And my 
dad called us up and said, look guys, you know, I'm selling the house, get the hell out of here, go get your own house. And, um, at that time, Matt and I were thinking, all right, we're, we can't go and afford a house right now. We're probably going to live into live in an apartment. So let's go get a little warehouse in town, make it into our little man cave. Maybe we can um, just go there on the weekends and just brew. And then that turned into, well, if we brewed, could we sell it? And if we could sell it, how much could we, should we sell to pay for our rent so we could just break even on this hobby? And that turned into, we need a bigger brewery and we need more stuff. And then we ended up making the, our first brewery. I think that's I kind of went wild. on a little train I mean, on, that's on that. Just so like... um, <laughs> if, if I diverted from your first question, repeat that again. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I think that that makes like, that's sort of a fun, a fun way of doing it. Right. Because it, it, it was, a, it was a situation that presented a couple of different options to you and you just sort of kept like finding the breadcrumbs that led you to. Eventually oh yeah. It was, it was kind of meant to be. It just, um, it, it worked straight out of that. So as you were getting ready to open though, because if you're, if you're, if you're talking nine years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, we were firmly in IPA country and I mean, we still are in the craft space, but, um, but I mean, IPA is like, you couldn't, you know, swing a dead cat without hitting, you know, finding a brewery that, that, that didn't offer one. Um, oh, yeah. were you worried as you guys were getting ready to open of saying, okay, we're going to do, we're going to focus on lagers. We're going to focus on German styles. And especially because like, when I think about craft 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, there was such a disconnect between the American craft drinker and imports or, you know, foreign beer, like, unless you're talking about maybe, you know, Cantillon or, you know, some of the, like Orval or, you know, maybe some of the, the Belgians uh, that were out there, you know, German beer didn't have a lot of pizzazz, you know, you had Sam Calagione, you know, screaming against the Ryan Heidsko boat, you know, uh, and, you know, all these other, you know, uh, you know, breweries that had made a name for themselves sort of saying like, you know, that's old and stodgy and we're the new, you know, shiny thing. And the drinkers went along with that. We're, were you concerned of launching into that space? You know what? Not really. So we were looking at this like ever-changing um, landscape of craft beer. And it's like, well, now this brewery's putting peanut butter in it. Then to like, you know, compete in the arms race, this guy puts like, you know, chocolate and marshmallows in. And we're just like, okay, I don't care. Like, I just don't want to drink that stuff. What we were so amped up on is these, these breweries have been making the same beer for like hundreds of years. You know, you go to, go to Germany and like, you know, you go to some brewery and, and all they make is Hellas and it is incredible. And they've made one beer for so long. Or um, you go up to Dusseldorf and it's like, you know, um, Uriga or any of those breweries up there, Schumacher, making the same alt style beer forever. And it is absolutely incredible. So, our like influence on beer has always been, you know, the, the German culture of that, which is like, look, just do one mm-hmm. thing and be the best at doing it. My favorite restaurants are the ones that are, you know, they're focusing on one main thing. And you see that in a lot of like good high quality things. The ones that are terrible, the ones that are just trying to trying to catch everything. And it's like, you know, like um, jack of all trades, master of none. Like I, we just didn't really want to do that. 
So that yeah. was the way we looked at it. We looked at it as like, okay, we're going into IPA territory. Everyone wants IPA and we're going to come at them with not only an obscure t- like style of beer that no one's ever heard of, but something that's not even close to IPA. And you look at that and it's just like, wow, those guys are either idiots or really smart or don't care. And it was kind of like a blend of three of those. Um, financing this brewery. That's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. So when we financed this thing, we, we basically, we were all working great jobs. We're all living in our, or Matt and I were living in my parents' house. Um, Joe was still living down in LA and um, we basically went from the homebrew system into our first three barrel as literally like, let's just make this thing so it breaks even and we can have fun brewing. And maybe one day we'll build a bigger brewery and expand off that, but it needs to just breathe on its own. That's, that's the only spec we need to have here. So we didn't want to do any, any um, loans for anything. It was all cash. So we sat down and we said, all right, what do you, what do you got? Like we're, we don't have families right now. We're not married. We can, we can spend money on cool equipment. So we put our, our budget together. We bought everything in cash. And a matter of fact, we even paid the rent out for a full year up front because the landlord was kind of wary about a brewery going in and, you know, three young kids that could be a bunch of jackasses. And he didn't know that. He didn't want us to destroy the whole thing. So we're like, look, man, we'll just, how about we just pay the whole first year off? Would that be good? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Done. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> so going into it, we're like, okay, we got to be able to pay our rent. We're in Moore Park. We're not in like the storefront section of like Santa Monica, like on the water or anything. We're, we're we have very cheap rent up here. It's a small town. Our, um, our brewery is making, you know, six barrel batches, which that's like, you have like five restaurants that can support that and a little tap room. So we thought about that as like, okay, we're in the perfect, perfect opportunity here to literally make what we want, spend time focusing on educating people about the styles we're making instead of trying to justify our rent payment and our brewery loan payment by making beer that's trivial that everyone already knows they like. So that's kind of why we, we went with the uh, the alt in the beginning and started pushing ourselves on that, that German category. And then just as we got more popular, we started expanding more and more. And yeah, like we're, we're literally watching our friends start breweries. And then like a year later, they're building some giant facility and we're like, what are we doing wrong? I, I feel like we're just like small and forgotten, but we've just been steadily growing like so strong since that time on like a really great, foundation and that's been like kind of a great thing for us when you're saying though that you're seeing you know some of your friends who you know were doing gangbusters early on because again i i think about nine years ago and you know there's those of us who wanted to be drinking lagers and drinking ipas and you know know, but it it was it, it did seem like it was a tougher sell maybe than it is today it was an impossible um, sell yeah <laughs> Who was coming to the brewery in those early days? Who was seeking you out? If you're not on a main thoroughfare, if you're not, if you're off the beaten path, um, who who was coming in your door? Who was, you know, helping you pay that second year's rent uh, after you fronted the first? You know, I, had, how did you get there? Yeah, so a lot of locals. I mean, we started off with, um, you know, Moorpark people. 
And what's kind of nice is people always looked at us and said, like, Moore Park, you picked Moore Park to start a brewery in? Like, that's terrible. Well, we were looking at it like, well, first of all, we kind of grew up, we're even, well, Matt and I went to high school here. We really grew up in Massachusetts. But um, we thought about, you know, this would be cool. This is our, our town. It's it's kind of off the path here. It'd be nice to have something neat in this in this city. We always complain about nothing to do here. So let's put a little brewery in. That'd be kind of a cool, cool thing to kind of advance this little area. But in doing so, it gave people that really are going out to other cities for, you know, nightlife or fun things to do something to have in their town and this, in this city here. So we had a really great local following and um, that was the big thing, big local following. And then also we were distributing not a lot, but a good amount. So um, now if we had a bigger city and we had a, um, how were you distributing? Were you, were you guys draft or were you um, draft only? draft or, bottles or cans or draft only okay. draft only and um we did our own um, distribution line cleaning everything so um since we had to have a little bit of a mix between outside draft sales and bar sales it was it was putting us out further so for instance if you built a tiny little three barrel brewery in a um a bigger more hip city you're probably going to sell literally every single drop of beer draft only um, at your bar. So, um, since we had a little bit of a both or a, a mix of, of both of those draft, you know, on site versus at restaurants, getting out to restaurants out in the area did some good marketing for us. The margins are a hell of a lot lower. And of course we would have liked to sell everything on, on site, but it, it did help just getting our name out there. And we were really, I think, mm-hmm. um, we were one of like three breweries when it first started off, we had Ladyface. In, in our area, sure, they're the first one. And then um, I think it was about a year or two later, Surf Brewery opened up. And then a month after them, we opened. So that was really our, our beer climate in this area. And now we have, we have so many, it's, it's like, it's been exponentially growing. But back then it was, it was really like, if you want to go have a beer at a brewery, you went to one of three breweries and we were one of those. So definitely were you different getting times. a lot of people who would walk in and say, yeah, but were you getting people who would walk in and say like, Hey, where's your IPA? Well, we still get that people walk into the bar and literally say, I'll, I'll take, I'll take an IPA. And we're like, we don't have that. And it's like, what? You don't have that? Which, I mean, you know, IPA kind of built the, uh, the craft beer scene, but that's literally like walking into a restaurant saying, I'll have a hot dog. And they're like, we, we don't have that. It's a Chinese restaurant. It's like, wait, what? What are you doing? So um, yeah, we, we still get that. And uh, when we first started, that was that was a big thing. But we actually got, we had an IPA on tap when we, we opened. And um, we were thinking, and this is like, right before we opened up, Matt and I went to Germany, went to Dusseldorf and saw all those breweries out there. And we came back with the idea in our, our head that, we're going to just make one style of beer, like alt, and that's going to be all we make, and that is it. And then we were like, you know what? We should probably have <laughs> – because we, st- we didn't care. It, it just, we're going to make what we want to make, and that's going to be it. Um, sure. But yeah. we, we, you we paid your rent for a year. Yeah, just make yeah. alt fuck around for a year. Yeah. But I, I've got nothing against IPA. As a matter of fact, I, I love IPA. Good IPA is, is great once in a while. But, um, you know, we started off with an, with an IPA as well. So we had two beers on tap, really. It was our, our alt, our main focus, and then we had our IPA that we, we had. And um, 
that was a thing. If someone came in, they'd at least have something they could probably understand out of that. But then as we started growing, we started growing the other styles and kept the IPA back at, you know, a very limited thing. Even till now we have IPA in the tap room only, and that's on and off all the time. And the rest of the 11 beers are completely different. Well, you guys also have, um, I guess what you're calling a, uh, you have your mosaic Pilsner these days. Uh, and that, that must sort of fit the, or scratch the itch for when folks come in. Yeah, it totally does. You know, looking for, looking for something that, yeah. What's, what's strange is that people are so accustomed to what IPA is in their, in their head and you tell them and, and, and they have the complete lack of knowledge what the word lager means. So um, when you tell someone, hey, you know, we don't have an IPA on tap right now, but we do have a dry hop Pilsner, mosaic dry hop Pilsner. And people will think of it as like, I don't want something like cheap and light. I want it to be hoppy. I'm like, no, no, just try this. This is pretty hoppy. It's pretty hop forward here. And um, they'll try that thing. And that person is now, all right, well, now I'm into this different style. It's not what I thought it was. I guess they can be hoppy. And we even had that when we made a double IPL once. We loaded the thing up with Galaxy Hops. It was just the hoppiest thing we've ever done. And um, this, is, this is a while ago. And we did it as kind of a test to see how that would work. And I saw someone in line say, like, ooh, Galaxy, Galaxy IPL. Oh, uh but I don't want a light IPA though. And it's like right under it, it's 8% alcohol, like hundred IBU. It's like, I don't know how I could have made it any like yeah. bigger or hoppier, but it's just, it's just that like comfort zone of styles. People know IPA and then everything else has to be kind of educated and, and then reformulated. And, and now I think it's a lot more broad than it was in the past because when we first opened up, it was IPA everything. And we used to always bang our heads against the wall like, damn it, it's all IPA. We go to a bar, we, we'd bring our, you know, alt out there. And this bar has like, you know, 10 IPAs on tap, Bud Light, and then maybe like a Nitro Stout. And they'll be like, well, do you have an IPA? Like, well, you have an IPA. You have at least 20 of them. Why don't you put our one beer that could be your non-IPA on tap? And it was like, we get a blank stare. Like, all right, damn it. Like... <laughs> This is going to be fun. So it, it's always been something to that we've kind of struggled with in the in the um, in the field out there. So early frustrations aside, um, and I'm wondering if I guess I'm I'm sort of curious aside from the literal definition of what a logger is or how a logger is made. What does the word lager mean to you? Well, the word lager really means to store and is to store in an implied cold location for a long time. And that's really how that style developed. Right. It's not about, I mean, yes, we know now is it about, it's about the yeast and the fermentation temps, but back, back when this whole thing started going, there's been lager and ale really came from just the regions and the German brewers were fermenting colder and that just naturally weeded out the, the, um, 
the ale yeast from the yeast that could sustain the cold temperatures. And that's really how that style completely changed around. But to me, when I hear the word lager, I think, um, you know, I think a beer that is, that's cold fermented, it's going to take a hell of a lot more to produce a good version of that than something with, um, ale yeast in it. I think it's just, it's really a, um, the step up in the, in the brewing techniques too, as well. And, um, that's kind of always what I've always thought of it as, but I think the, uh, the American lager, um, market really destroyed that word for a lot of people. And I think the word lager means cheap or light. And it doesn't mean it's cheap or light. A lager can be cheap, light, or it could be heavy and hoppy. And so can an ale. I mean, you, you can make a cream ale with, you know, 40% corn or something, and you're going to have a very, very light, light, cheap beer as well. But, um, going into this, trying to go out there and you're, you're trying to sell beer at a bar that people don't understand anything outside of IPA and you're a lager brewery into people in the craft, like the, you know, uber nerdy craft circles. It's like, well, ales are the elevated complex ones with fruits and barrel aging and lagers are for people who just want to watch their carbon take and that's it. And it's completely different. So for us, it was just a lot of education. So you go out somewhere and it's like, listen, here's a lager. And they would think, all right, well, this is it's just, isn't this cheap or, you know, so on. But then you have to explain it. I'm like, listen, you know, I, I can turn this blonde ale out in like a week and a half. And this lager is going to take me, you know, like eight weeks. I'm going to naturally carbonate the whole thing. It's got to be brewed like a whole, you know, crazy different way. Um, at least if you want it the traditional German style. Um, and after you get through that whole like process or even like a brew tour, that word lager means a lo- something completely different to that person. So for us, like getting our beer out there, it really came down to our, our sales education, not necessarily just like here, try this beer out, put on your tap list. But like, let me tell you about this whole style that you probably don't know a whole lot of because, you know, honestly, like the, um, the or what you beer do scene, know is, is so misconstrued. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also you don't see a lot of lager out there in general. I mean, if you look at, you know, the cost to, to brew those, you're, you're taking up tank space for a hell of a lot longer. And a lot of breweries naturally are going to be on top of the fact that, you know, IPA and that style is, was very, very popular when the whole thing started catching on. And really, I think it's because it, it caught on because it was that difference between what was accepted as the American style beer, which was, you know, Budweiser and that kind of stuff. And now craft beer is this like elevated flavor, awesome stuff, uh, completely different. That's why you saw a lot of ales, but the fact that you don't see a lot of lagers out there gives that, that uh, mindset of lager is always, you know, American light lager and craft beer is always hoppy, full flavored and, um, you know, heavy in alcohol. There's a certain dedication that comes, I mean, everything that you just described, none of this is done the easy way. Um, And there's a certain amount of dedication that comes with being a committed lager brewery. And, you know, obviously the ones that I've spoken about on this show before and uh, written about in the past of, you know, like what Chris Loring is doing at Notch and what uh, Ashley and Bill are doing at uh, Bierstadt and, you know, obviously uh, Jack's Abbey. Um, There's a different 
there's almost like a sort of a different philosophy, I think, among the small batch lager brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think drives that? What do you think drives that commitment or what, what, what drives it for you? I mean, really, it's just, it's the passion of that style because I can tell you one thing, it isn't the money that drives that one. Now, if, if lager just explodes in popularity and becomes the new like hipster style or something like that, which I hope it never does, then you might see a lot of people going out there making lager that, that didn't really like it. And you, you just have this over, you know, flooding of um, just meaningless beers. Um, but really, it's you, you look at every one of those breweries, and everyone probably has the same kind of story. Yeah, we knew it was going to be an uphill battle. We're making beers we really, 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 really like and respect, and it's going to be hard to sell it. We're not going to make as much money as we would if we were, you know, selling the hot ticket item. Um, on top of that, our facility has to be rigged up completely different as well. We're going to be using a lot more tanks. It's going to cost us a lot more money. It'll essentially cost us a lot more money to make a beer that needs to sell at a lower margin anyways, because, you know, you can go, like IPA, for instance, is very, very, very elastic. You put a strange rare hop on that, you can sell it for almost double what a keg of something else would be. And um, you can see that in like the bar yeah. prices and look at them like, are you kidding me? You're paying this for this beer? Like why? But now lager, it's lighter you know, like I think like a 4.8% Hellas, you know, basic lighter style lager. I got to compete with the other breweries that are mass producing this light style lager that we've been lumped into um, like the category at the bar with. So I'm not competing against the, um, the double chocolate barrel aid stout prices. I'm competing against the well, I get Modelo for this, so why would I buy your, you know, four point eight light lager? And I'm like, God damn it, because you don't understand. That's why. And you know, <laughs> you got to fight in that little um, territory there. So, um, yeah. So it's really, it's really not about starting off with this like money making idea. It's a very, very long game. And for us, like we knew it was gonna be an uphill battle the whole time and it's gonna pay off a lot longer, you know, a lot further down the road. And right now for us it's really starting to pay off a lot. And I'm really happy we put that that groundwork in. How how do you know that it's starting to pay off? I mean aside from from being on this show. Uh, which is, I'm sure, a pinnacle of your of your career. Um, like, how do you know, or how do you? What, what's the sense that you get that it's starting to pay off now? Uh, just added like 50 percent more fermentation space, and I'm constantly buying tanks. And my uh, partner who does the sales is like, "We need more beer. We need to keep up." And I'm like, "Oh, I've never heard that before. This is awesome." Um, it just it just catches on. I mean, people are starting to understand what that what lager is and what styles of beer they are. They're realizing that they can go out and they can have a six pack of beer while they're mowing the lawn and doing stuff and just hanging out with their friends. And it's a beer that is literally like it's just an all day drinking style almost. And um, that kind of goes into like the German styles themselves and, and how they're really designed for drinkability versus like a, point, a couple of guys sitting around sharing a bottle of some chocolate syrup style of beer and then writing about it on, you know, their blog or something. It's a different style. And I I think people are starting to get more into that. Like I said before, it's like, you know, you look at the, 
when we first started off and people were like, whoa, they put this in there. That is crazy. I got to get this. Now people are like, yeah, we, we, we know that peanut butter has been involved in beers before, but I just wanted to like drink some beers in my backyard or go to the beach. So that's when I think this style is, is right. starting to be like a, hey, what can I, what kind of awesome, full flavored, great beer can I drink all day long? And you're going to get into, that's where we come in. That's the, the style really. And this is what like the German culture is doing and which is why they serve beer in liter mugs. And you can kind of see how it works. And I think that's what's really um, driving that a little bit more now. There's. I think the, the, the fun thing about a lot of the U.S. breweries that are rooted in German tradition is every once in a while, somebody finds a really obscure style um, or a fun old recipe or brewing technique uh, you know that's been around for centuries that has sort of fallen out of favor. Um, and it, it, it sort of breathes some new life into it. And you know, somebody who enjoys different experiences, like I always kind of get jazzed about those types of things. Are there recipes that you've done in the past or there styles that you've revived um, or things that you've done that, I don't know, tickled you as a brewer that got you all excited about uh, uh, recreating history or, or unearthing something or introducing somebody to something for the first time? I mean, I've been tickled a whole lot with, with this industry to tell you the truth, but, um, <laughs> so, but like for, for one of the, one of the ticklings, I, I suppose we could get into, um, reviving old recipes, um, obscure recipes, especially that's definitely something pretty neat because you're, 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 you're bringing in history, which I, I love history. I love researching about like beer history and a lot of the different styles have really come out of just necessity from the regions or from the culture in general, not because they're just trying to, they're getting bored with their Hellas. They want to make something different. It's always from something um, that they had to kind of work around, but um, a cool style that, that we are kind of making a good amount of um, is, is Rauch beer. And you don't see a lot of that out there. Um, basically smoked. smoked oh, I'm beer. a fan of that. And um, we yeah. made a, we made a beer called, called the big meat. And um, <laughs> I, I told my brother, I was like, "Hey, I got this name for this beer. I'm gonna. It's gonna be all. It's gonna be all. Um, you know, Rauch malt. We're gonna make it really heavy. It'll have this like nice black forest ham type of flavor to it. And here's my name, Big Meat. And he's like, "That no, no, no. You can't do that. That's that's gross." I was like, no, no, but look at my look at my drawing. I drew a picture of like a charcuterie board with a beer bottle being sliced like ham. And I was like, "All right, all right." It's not as gross anymore. So we ended up like making that style <laughs> and um, you did that once and it came out and I was like, Oh, this is, this is incredible. I, I love this. And I, I always love Schlankerla that, that um, Bamberg style oh, um, sure. smoke Meritson. So we bring that one out, put it on tap and it, it's like a hard sell. People are like, wait, what? It's made with meat. I'm like, no, 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 no. I should have named it that, but uh, it's not meat. It's not no meat inside of it. It's, um, Beechwood smoked malt. So the same kind of flavor you get from like black forest ham, but you know, in a beer. So we're, um, we have an our tap We're uh, we're educating people about it and they're coming in. I'm, I'm giving them some of the malt to try next to like standard Pilsner malt. And, um, it, it kind of like, 
gets people thinking a little bit like, all right, this is pretty interesting. They start telling them the stories about like, you know, back in the old days before they had um, coal firing um, the kilns, a lot of the beards had a nice little smoky kind of a hue to them. So um, that's been fun. We've been pushing that one. And now that beer has been really catching on a lot. Um, It was funny because one person would come in and be like, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. Why do you even make this? And I'm like, okay, want to be a child about that the next guy would be like this is the most incredible tasting beer i've ever had like can i buy a keg i'm like yeah you want a keg sure man that's awesome um so it's extremely polarizing extremely polarizing and um but like we kind of been adding more of those in we we, we added a smoked hellas which i I absolutely love nice um subtle smokiness to a typical hellas body and um with our canning that's been really nice because now when you go to a bar to get someone to put our beer on tap, like I mentioned before, like you're nine times out of 10 selling beer to a hop head and they don't care what you're mm-hmm. making if it's lager. Um, so it's hard to getting on tap, but if you can get it on tap, now you've got this beer that no one really understands. And when I think about going to a bar, let's say I'm going to go to this new craft beer bar. I'm going to stop by after work, have a beer and go home. So, I'll see a whole bunch of beers I know on the board and there's some weird ones that maybe I haven't had before or a different style altogether. And I'm like, well, do I want to really have that one pint? And then just that's my beer for, for right now. And I'm going to just go home after this. I can't get taster glasses like I could at a brewery, but um, you know, I'll just stick with the safe choice. I'll go for like a pale ale. I'm, I know I'm going to like that. It's going to be nice and safe in the middle. So it's, it's kind of a, a tough one to get out at bars and you're also not there to explain it either. So someone's going to try it and be like, yeah, gross. It tastes like bacon. You're like, no, that's what I wanted you to think. But um, if I'm not there to say that, then you think it's disgusting. But canning has been great because now people can buy a four pack of something that might be completely odd that they might hate. And if they don't like it, you know, you give it to your friends or you just have a smaller amount to try at home or, you know, break open a can and pour it around as tasters. Yeah. So when we started canning um, that Rauk beer, that's when we started doing a lot more of it and saw it kind of going out there. And that had that nice little um, um, kind of niche with it. So that's kind of like one of our, um, I guess, old historical beers that um, we, we've been doing. Um, another one we've been doing is uh, the American Rheinheitskabat, which we, we had just finished one with, um, with Bierstadt. And that's, that was our yeah. idea of taking like the, the American lager history and doing kind of an alternative history to it. So American lager history, it's rooted with German immigrants coming over from Germany to America. And they're trying to recreate beer styles that they've been brewing in their homelands. And the ingredients out here were completely different. You weren't getting your, your European style um, Pilsner malt. You've got American six row barley, um, which is kind of gnarly stuff to work with. And you had um, different, different hops altogether. And um, a lot of these brewers were using a lot of corn and rice to add to that, um, to the um, fermentables. And that six row barley would actually work out well with um, when you're adding the corn and rice to it for the um, fermentability. So you get this like style of beer that really came out from just what you had available. And same thing with Mexican lager. A lot of that has a lot of corn involved in it. Um, so we kind of asked ourselves a question, like what would happen if um, that happened now? You had German immigrants coming over to America to use all American ingredients. What would they make? 
So we've got a lot of good malting companies now. American hops are, there's just so many incredible varieties of American hops out there now. So we're thinking like, what can we do? What kind of styles can we recreate? What kind of German styles can we recreate, but using only American grown materials? So with this um, series, we use we use malt from Admiral Maltings, and they're, they're in Alameda, California, and uh, make some incredible stuff. And then um, we kind of change the hops oh, around yeah, depending day. on what we want to do. So the first one we did was with Figaro Mountain, and we did a Vienna style lager. Um, came out really good. That was our first little little run on it. Can that one? And then the second time around, we did a um, an uh, American Fest beer with um, Epig. Um, Got, it came out really, really good. We mm-hmm. used um, Admiral Organic Pills in that one, and then the last one we did was a um, American style, um, well, a German style American Pilsner um, with um, Bierstadt, and we used um, Crystal Hops and um, Pilsner Malt as well from um, Admiral Malting, and um, that's been a really, that was actually a really, really big hit. That that was incredible. Actually, I. Those those guys, um, Ashley and Bill, are really really um, knowledgeable brewers, and I I think I probably learned more about German brewing hanging out with them for like a weekend than I had just from every single book I've I've read in my whole life about that style. So oh, um, hands that, down. that was incredible being able to pair up with, with them with that one. So those are kind of my two um, historical yeah. no, um, I... styles that I like a lot. When How's the alt taken off, or has it? I mean, the beer that got you into this, the beer that uh, you you sort of put all your chips in early on, has it found the love that you hoped that it would? Oh yeah, actually. I mean, matter of fact, the alt is the only beer that has been brewed consistently for nine years. We hadn't even changed that recipe. That's been the same exact recipe for, recipe from day one. Um, we, we the IPA we had back then, we we stopped doing that one. We got into a lot of other beer styles, but that's been on the board forever. And um, I think that that did really well for us. I mean, in the beginning, when we were competing with IPAs everywhere, and yeah, sure, it was like frustrating, you know, um, going to a bar and they want to put IPA on tap and they don't really care about anything else other than that. Um, yeah, that was a, that was like a frustration, but something we had to kind of like grow with. But the best part is that as you know, a thousand other breweries start being added to the area. We're still that brewery that is not a rotating handle. Like a lot of these bars, since IPA is so popular and every brewery makes like 10 of them, um, these craft beer bars, they're wanting to rotate those around all the time. So if you get an IPA handle, you're going to be probably rotating a little bit or the, um, the two handles next to it in a four handle bar are also IPA and you got to share that with the other guys out there. Cause they're all making, you know, similar style hop forward. A lot of times the same exact hops. And, um, you know, that's something you have to like, you have to share the success with. But for us, if we could get on tap somewhere, we're in our own niche altogether. So if someone doesn't want an IPA, like we're getting their attention. The Amber is a good style. People look at Amber and it's like, well, you know, it's a, I want something that's not super hoppy, but not really light. It's kind of in the middle of the road. And um, we actually, we, we didn't, we called it alt in the beginning. It was always Valkyrie, Valkyrie alt. Um, but our tap handles just said ALT on them, 
alt. So people will look at that and you see next to that is IPA and ALT. So they order as, I'll have the ALT. And it was kind of confusing. So we ended up just doing, um, in our new tap handles, Valkyrie. So you can see that. And you would know that, okay, I don't know what kind of style of beer this is, but it's called Valkyrie and I like it. It's amber style. Um, I don't need to know like where it comes from, what complete, you know, history is behind it. It's amber and I like the thing. So um, that's where it kind of helped us like push the word alt a little bit more. And then um, we, we've since kind of rebranded even more as um, as German style amber. And that, that was something that could help us differentiate more with our, our can designs. We have our beer name and then in one line under it is our, our style. So when you have a beer, like um, for instance, like Dunkel, that's a, that's an odd style to a lot of people. If I named it like, um, you know, uh, XYZ is the name and then the style is Dunkel, you've really not really given that person an idea of what they're going to be getting. So what we do with a lot of our names, if it's a strange style, we want to promote like Dunkel, the name of the beer is Dunkel. And then the, the style is German style, you know, dark lager or Bavarian style dark lager. So um, changing that up a little bit helped us like move Valkyrie a lot. But, you know, even till today, like that's, that's probably one of our best selling beers. Like it's up, you know, that and Hellas, we probably do the most of. And um, it's, it's done incredibly well. And looking back on, I'm, I'm really glad we, we stuck with that one and really like pushed on it because you can ask everyone out there and they'll, they'll know that's the beer that, that's been around forever. As you start to look forward to, and not, I, I don't mean forward, like excited, but you know, as the calendars uh, continue to change here and, you know, we start to uh, reopen and, and, and head into, um, new uncertain times what's the brewery going to be doing to address you know the new world that we're in and you know what have you guys been thinking about for the last couple of months as to you know how you're hoping to emerge from covid well i mean um right now we're actually <laughs> i know everybody has that again. big side i don't and it's not the new world we're gonna go back to our our regular world pretty soon and um I don't think we're going to be changing our lifestyles for too long. Um, It's just my personal belief there, but um, you know, going back into it, we're, we're actually opening back up like Ventura County where we are. um, We're in our, our our, um, second part of the phase two going into the phase three. So we're allowed to open right now. Um, As long as we have, have food, um, we can open up. So we've seen our beer garden light back up again. So that's been great um and i and hopefully like pretty soon we'll be just be back to going normally and staying at home if we're sick and just washing our hands like we should be in the first place that'd be wonderful so i'm hopeful that it turns out to be that because you know beer gardens when they're empty they're useless it's just not very fun and it's just so much better having you know a band in getting the people out there hanging out socializing together um, I want to see more of that and just seeing how that's been changed this last like week has been kind of like a breath of fresh air, but we'll probably still continue well, to ship. To look forward I mean, to we, that, we've nice. been, um, this, this whole thing got us into, um, shipping beer acro- around California, something that we always wanted to do, but never really had time to figure it out. But since that was really our only way to sell beer, we 
made that happen overnight. And um, that's been pretty successful. So we'll probably still keep doing that. So people that aren't in our distribution network or territory area can still get a hold of our stuff. So I like to keep going on that one. Have you seen uh, certain parts of the state uh, that you were surprised by reaching out for shipments, reaching out for deliveries? Um, yeah, well, I was I was surprised. You know, seeing a lot of different areas like up north get our stuff. You know, we we have um, we sell up there in Trader Joe's. A lot of um, they, they take our beer around California and they'll just they'll blast it out and they'll stop and we'll get more of it. Kind of goes like in phases like that. So um, I, I think people have been kind of exposed to us, but um being able to send stuff up to different people has been great. And that's one of those things where like, you know, you, when I go to a beer store, like a BevMo or something, um, you know, I obviously can't get beer from some of the breweries I want to get beer from unless they're literally so big that they're shipping across the country. But a lot of times I want to get something from that tiny little place that I haven't really seen yet. And um, I'm willing to pay a little bit extra for shipping just to try something new. So I think that was something really cool. And also with that, American Rhine Heitzkabat release um, that got a lot of buzz. And um, that was kind of one of those things where, you know, everyone's wanting to try beer stock stuff because, you know, they're, they're selling, they don't really package any of their stuff. They're, they're doing um, mostly, dra- I think they're packaging now, but um, mostly it's just draft at their bar in the local areas. So people are looking at that like, Oh wow, that's, that brewery is incredible. I know that. And this Ennegrim brewing, let's try it out. I've never heard of them before. But um, let's give it a whirl. And, you know, we were selling a lot of that stuff, a lot of um, the uh, Ryan Heitzkabat out, but also a lot of everything else too. So people were getting a, b- a big package of a um, bunch of random styles. And we're not doing just like a six pack here and there. It was like large cases of, of like assortments. So um, it was it was cool. It was, it was nice seeing our, our beer get out there. And it's nice seeing people um, kind of take a liking to the styles that we're uh, pushing so for so long. Well, I hope it continues for you guys. And uh, you've made me thirsty for an, uh, for a proper alt beer now for a proper Amber. So uh, I think I'm going to have to go and search for it. Um, Chris, thanks for taking the time to talk to me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That's Chris Ennegren of the brewery that bears his family name in California. And if you're like me, you're finishing up this show really craving an alt beer. Yet another brewery to get on my bucket list, and I hope the same is true for you. I got to say thanks to everyone who has called, written, posted uh, about guests you'd like to hear, and for those of you who took time to leave a review on the various podcast sites. If you haven't yet, I'd really kindly ask that you do. And you can always reach me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And please check out BeerEdge.com for articles and other beer-related information. And while you're there, consider subscribing to the newsletter. Don't forget to download the weekly Beer Edge podcast, which is hosted by myself and Andy Crouch, and also give a listen to Steal This Beer and the BYO Nano podcast. There's a lot of great beer happenings in this world right now, and those shows have you covered. Nate Schweber does the music for us. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. And I'm John Hall. New episodes of the show are released every Wednesday. And that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer. And I hope you'll join me. Until then, take care of each other. <laughs>